Hello, 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 everyone. I am Pedro, and this is Gritty Reboot. As always, I am joined by my beautiful wife, and she is... Meredith. (laughs) Way to say that with no enthusiasm. And she is... Meredith. Uh, Yeah, I realized I kind of bumbled that. Yeah, yeah. You're just coming with a lot of energy. Yeah, there we go. And we're doing a show. We want to bring some energy (laughs) to the people so they don't fall asleep while they're driving to work or whatever. And listening to us recap Carrie. Let's see. Do you hear that, people? Do you hear that? I read the novelization of the screenplay for The Rage Carrie 2 entirely just for you guys. They know from the last episode. Yeah, yeah. But they better know from the last episode. (laughs) No, no, no. No one gives a crap about the Rage Carry 2, except for us, because we're covering it today. So today is Carry 2013 with Chloe Grace Moretz. The Rage Carry 2, which is a sequel, but it's very much a remake of the first movie uh, ripoff of that whole concept. And then, of course, we are finishing up with the TV movie starring Angela Bettis from 2002, Carrie as well. They're all called Carrie because it'd be really weird if they weren't called Carrie. This is what we're covering. I can't believe we've dug this deep into this content for this long. I am absolutely sick and tired of this story. I know, me too. <laughs> I can't wait to punt this bullied girl with telekinesis into the sun when we're done here. And I'm glad we get to finish it off tonight and get all of it out of our system. Mm-hmm. Is there, I was going to ask you, and I, I forgot about it last week, but I wanted to ask you about the first time you saw Carrie, the original film. Do you have any memory of that? I was definitely in high school. I had saw seen it on... Um... Whenever it was on TV, mm-hmm. I can't remember which tele- like channel I would have watched. But yeah. I remember watching it on TV. Mm-hmm. I didn't ever rent it. Yeah, I can remember my dad being really excited to watch it because I think it was coming on TV that night. And I think he was trying to make the case to my mom that it wasn't that bad for me to watch at like seven or eight years old. Maybe a little bit younger than that. Because I have a very clear memory of my dad describing... Oh, it's about a girl who can move things with her mind and these bullies mess with her and she gets her revenge. And yes, that is a synopsis of the movie, <laughs> but he he left a lot out. And I I remember being really excited to watch it with my parents. And then, of course, you know, I watched the movie, which, you know, as a kid, you know, I remember being sort of in and out early on. But obviously, once a whole bunch of carnage starts up, then it is something you really don't forget. And I was, you know, stuck there, obviously, watching from that point on. So I had a real early memory coming in with the original Carrie movie. I think it almost worked against me because we talked about last week I was down on Carrie initially yeah. and was more excited because I, I think I've like I've seen that a bunch as a kid. I don't need to watch it again. And I was glad that I did. And my high opinion of that film didn't help any of the three films that are coming up this week, even if I don't think one of them is that bad. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add before I play the trailer for the next flick? No. No, we got a lot to talk about. Brightly beams our Father's mercy From His lighthouse evermore But to us He gives the keeping Of the lights So in 2013, they deemed it time to reboot Carrie. And we got that with Portia Doubleday, Julianne Moore, and Chloe Grace Moretz leading this film. 
So I, I of course, and of course Ansel Eggord as well. I did want to mention him since we're going to talk about him quite a, quite a bit here. Before we get into recapping the movie, I wanted to ask you what you think of the cast. Well, it's got a good cast. Like I, I don't think Chloe Grace Moretz is is a bad actress. She's legitimately fifteen in this. In yeah, she's this, a teenager. She's a teenager. Yeah, in this movie. I love Julianne Moore. I'll watch anything she's in, mm. even if it's bad. I'll watch it. Yeah, because she's great. It's got Judy Greer. Judy Greer. It's got Judy Greer. I love Judy Greer. Yeah. Who doesn't love Judy Greer? Yeah, Judy Greer is always fantastic. Yeah. So it's got a lot of great actors and actresses in it. So I think it's got a good cast, especially. I think casting somebody that's a teenager playing a teenager is a good thing in some yeah, movies. Yeah, I, I agree. We we get very used to the concept that yeah a, a teenager in a movie is always like some 25-year-old. Like the 2002 movie is egregious. Oh, oh, it really is. It, it's, it's very much from a different era where it was really okay that someone could be 27 and play a teenager. Oh my God. Some of them look like they're in their 30s, let's be honest. Yeah, certainly that's very true. In this movie, we don't we don't really have that because even like Ansel Egort is like nineteen in this movie. Mm-hmm. Little Grace Moretz is fifteen. I think Portia Doubleday is twenty. I, I didn't look up the rest of the the age of the cast, but I mean I, that's a pretty young cast to, to make one of these movies with. So it does help. You know, you don't have to worry about like some guy with a receding hairline showing up or anything like that. Yeah, it, it certainly does. So Carrie twenty thirteen opens up a, a little bit differently than what we found in the original movie. This opens up with the birth of Carrie mm-hmm. and we get like a, this tracking shot up the stairs, following this sort of blood trail and a bloody Bible till we find uh, Julianne Moore and her take on Carrie's mother giving birth. And then Carrie pops out and she's going to abort her. Like she always says that she does in, in the book and in the previous film and she doesn't do it. She doesn't do it. She stops short. And I find the moment amusing for, for a couple of things that the baby Carrie holds her hand up. And because the baby does this, a lot of people on the internet believe that Carrie is stopping the the scissors at that point. Yeah. And I think that's just ridiculous to think that a baby whose eyes aren't even open, who just was born, has some mastery of mental will and powers. No, they're just forming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they can't do anything on their own but breathe and poop. Yeah. Like, that's about it, really. Yeah, so it does start with the birth of Carrie. And then we have the girls playing water volleyball instead of volleyball. Yeah, we do have another change in the sport. And we're, we'll see this throughout our show here as we recap the movies. But... They they do change this, but almost nothing is the same. Carrie still sucks at it, and she mm-hmm. is told to eat shit uh, by Chris. That That's the same here. But uh, what I did want to talk about that's different is the way these early sequences are framed. We are with Carrie. We are seeing things from her perspective. Like, as the movie starts and the credits roll, Carrie is seeing the rest of the cast as they come out. And she's looking at Sue and Tommy and everybody come out. It's from her perspective and how she looks upon them. And I automatically started to like the way this movie was going from the very beginning with that move. Because I think that, to me, was why I was intrigued by a Carrie reboot, was to have a movie with a a feminine perspective. Because this was directed by Kimberly Pierce. And I thought we could move away from the male gaze that De Palma gave us and gave us a much more 
a much better film directed by a, a woman with that perspective. So initially, I, I was intrigued and I saw what I wanted to. And I, I think even early on, you know, there's no leering at the girls or anything like that when we move into the next scene, the shower sequence. Hey, you know, everything, there is no male gaze and that that's refreshing. And I, I did want to mention that because I become less enthused with this later and later on as the yeah. movie continues. And I wanted to mention it lets you down. It start. I started off in a very good place about how I felt about th- this picture. So, and as we move into the shower, you know, obviously we have to directly sort of compare these two sequences or how the original did it to how this does it. And they are similar, except I don't believe this sequence is is as effective. Yeah, I agree. It's it's De Palma did it the best. Yeah, yeah. I, Although I th- she could have been a little edgier about it, mm-hmm. you know, she could have been a more feminist about it. Yeah, I think so. It just to to me, I think that there's there's some missed opportunities at, at a certain point. But the movie does start off, I think, in a really solid point. Also, another thing that I really liked is an element of updating the story and. That is when they're doing the whole plug it up sequence, they're throwing the tampons at Carrie when she's freaking out. You see Chris bring out her cell phone and film Carrie while this is going on. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really liked as well, because that that's a big part of it today. You know, a moment of embarrassment when we were in high school, that's all it was a moment. You know, people can tell the story, but if you weren't there, it lost its nuance. Now that's not the case. You know, everybody can have a 1080p copy of any embarrassing thing that's ever been done. Yeah, so that brings me to when is this movie set? Because you get the clue with a cell phone, mm-hmm. but I can't really tell what kind of cell phone she has. She has like a, a, I guess like a mid-range smartphone for like 2010. So you think it's set in 2010? Yeah, I think it's set. I think it's set when it's when it was made 2015. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a period piece in in any way. The I, I, weirdly enough, I don't I don't think any Carrie movie is a period piece. They just happen to be because it's been so long since some of them were made. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit later, especially with, with the rage carry too. that movie really exemplifies its era as much as the original film does the seventies. Yeah. That I tell you what. Yeah. We'll get to I it. I love it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> Look, we're already excited to talk here. Uh, the rage carry too. So you get the mother showing more affection in this movie, which is a first. Yeah. I, I think that is going to be the change here. That is probably the most interesting acting wise is that Julianne Moore is not going to play her mother as completely unhinged. She, I mean, she is still crazy. That's, that's there. And that's, that's, you know, she's still a religious zealot, but she is a much more caring mother to Carrie in this one to mm-hmm. where Piper Laurie like could give a sh- really hated Carrie. Mm-hmm. Like you always had that feeling. The, from that movie. the devil. Yeah, I mean, she still, I mean, she, she still smacks Carrie with the Bible when she comes home and she's upset about the, about about everything. And of course, she's upset that her mother didn't tell her. And that's another change in this one as well. This Carrie, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, is a bit more forceful and a bit more upset that her mother didn't tell her. And there's a line early on where Margaret's going down her wild fantasies of what she thinks is in the Bible. And Carrie calls her out on it and says, Mama, that's not even in the Bible. I don't know if I did a Southern accent there. And if I did, I'm sorry. You're from the South. <laughs> it's a, 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 Mama, I, that's not even in the Bible, Mama. I do believe I have the vapors. So mama? none of that's none of that's. You got a mama? 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 There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mom, I need some grits. All right. This is <laughs> none of this is talking about <laughs> Carrie. So anyway, about the grits. No, uh, about Carrie. 
Another thing that she does is she practices her powers in this movie. Yeah, yeah, she she does, she does. She uses her hands a lot more. I think one of the things that I find interesting is, is after we get the introduction to, to the mother and Carrie meets her, and I mean, we we meet her. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie doesn't meet her mother. We meet Carrie's mother, pardon me. We get introduced to Ansel Egort playing Tommy. And I think this is an upgrade over the previous film. I think Ansel Egort is pretty good here. He's handsome. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's a good looking feller, and he's a really charming guy. And there's a sweetness to him. Yeah, yeah, like he's kind of adult, but a well meaning one. Like yeah. he's not a jerk in any way, shape, or form. He's almost like a, a pure shining light of good, which Tommy's kind of always supposed to be. And I'm not saying he isn't that in the '76 version, but this is one of the one of the movie's highlights. I think. The way yeah. he plays them, because there's a there's a sex scene between him and Sue, a little bit after we, we meet Carrie's mom. And it's played just like it is in the book, which I was excited about, as I mentioned, I've read the book. And even in the sex scene, like Sue was not enamored with the sex. And the scene really goes down the way it did before. And he talks about some kid that he had kicked in the ribs while he was down and felt guilty about. All that's pure king, and it's here as well. And I was initially excited for because I was like, okay, good. We can get something that's closer to King's work and combine that with, with an update. And this is one of the few additions from, from King's King's book that's really put back in that I think works really well because some other ones that I don't think are as effective. And we, we have some things shoehorned in from the De Palma flick, which I think are really strange later on. And I, like I said, this is just one of the moments I, I wanted to point out because this is another highlight of, of the film. And because after that, we get the the really updated part to the screenplay, which is Chris uploading the video to YouTube. Mm-hmm. So the, so the embarrassment can continue. And that's the real missed opportunity. First of all, we're, we're comparing the two, the two sides here of the ultras, Sue and Tommy and uh, Chris and her friends and her boyfriend, Billy, you know, we're comparing, you know, how shitty they are to how good the, they are. And that works. I, I really think but this is really the last time we're going to talk about like any kind of cyberbullying, and it's a real missed opportunity for the movie. Yeah, she's going to upload this to YouTube, and she's going to act like she's like updating a dating profile, right? Because she's like favorite drink, Bloody Mary. You know, everything's a blood pun, and it's like you don't have to put any of that when you upload things to YouTube. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. This moment. I think, like I said, it's the only remnant of what could have been a more interesting update to the Carrie story. And for that, like, I sort of shed one tiny little tear, play a miniature violin. But it's just something that's got to be noted. Like, that was a really good opportunity to take Carrie in a more interesting and nuanced direction. And they just ran right back to the where the De Palma film really blared through. What do you think about Julianne Moore's performance compared to the last uh, woman? Well, I think Piper Laurie was obviously very different. You know, she was truly insane. And like we talked about before, she played things like it was a comedy. And Julianne Moore didn't want to do that. I think she wanted to find out more of what made Margaret White tick. Like, yeah, she was crazy. And yes, she was a a religious fanatic. But, you know, she wanted to say like, well, there's this love she still has for her daughter. She's trying to help, you know, save her daughter to some extent. You know, she wanted to show a bit more of that. And I think that is at times interesting, 
But sadly, compared to Piper Laurie, it it is a less bombastic and a less fun performance. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Like, yes, nuance can be interesting, but it, it also leads to, to a duller film, sadly. You know, and I, I'm not criticizing Julianne Moore. It's just very difficult to follow a performance like that one. Like, if you're going to remake There Will Be Blood, even if you had a fantastic actor, it would be very difficult to recast the Daniel Day-Lewis part. And I'm not saying another actor doesn't kick ass who tries to play that, but you're trying to hit something that only very few actors, only one person at one moment in time could hit it. And De Palma captured that perfectly with Piper Laurie in that film. So I appreciate her take. Just not as cool. That's it. I think Piper Laurie's performance is a lot more like theater. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. She's like, she just walked off the stage. Yeah. And Julianne Moore's is more grounded in reality as far as like a religious zealot i like the fact that she's does the self-flagellation yeah, yeah. i like all that mm-hmm. as a character and julianne moore is a good actress she, she can, really is she, she really is play those scenes yeah but so. yeah and I, and I like what she did like and that's the thing too i guess i enjoy what she did at the laundromat sequence i think when she's visited by chris's mother i think yeah. or, i don't know if it's chris or sue's mother one of the ultras moms and they're talking to her about being a tailor. And, and, and this sequence is not in the book, I don't believe. And she's sort of like, what, sticking a pen into her thigh mm-hmm. as they're talking. It was one of the things I was hungry for in this movie. Just that that other version, a, a different take on this mm-hmm. story. And like I was just like lapping that up because it's really all I got. Mm-hmm. you know. And that doesn't really go anywhere in itself. you know. That's another point that, that I wanted to bring up is there's a great story about Carrie and poverty. And like Carrie being an outcast because they're dirt fucking poor. And obviously that may not be a direction you take into Palma's movie because that's there's always a lot to cover. But I think it's another direction to take it. And I mean, once again, I'm <laughs> I'm lamenting a film that didn't get made. I'm wishing it was something else. But that's sort of the point of a reboot is you want to take your direction at it. Yeah. And to see this movie doesn't really take that direction at it. It sticks so much to really what had been done in the De Palma film, not necessarily the original work by King, which which is fine, but it just seems kind of weird because there are sequences from that De Palma movie that are redone in this movie that I don't think work very well or make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And to, to me, like I said, that's just a missed opportunity to to really take advantage of what you had, you know, a feminist director who could really make a movie about female characters and you don't really lean into that. You just kind of try to redo the De Palma film, which, which I think is a, a real shame of this. Another thing that I found different about this movie was that she heats things with her mind. Yeah. Yeah, she does. She does. And y- you know what that means, right? That means John Rainbird's coming for her. <laughs> uh, yeah, she does. She just kind of starts a fire. This is right before she goes to the prom. She locks her mom in the closet and she just like heats it up. And I, that is interesting. I, I'm not saying Carrie wouldn't have that ability, but it, it's something that isn't really covered. It, I'm not going to nitpick about that, but it's just, like I said, they show off that Carrie's very powerful and she can do all sorts of things. She's more in charge of her character in, in this movie. And, and I think that's something that works to its disadvantage. You know, because we, we talked about earlier, how do you feel about Chloe Grace Moretz versus. Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek was is perfect. Yeah. She's got the look that you would expect from a demure person. She acts 
like nobody's business. I mean, not that Chloe Grace Moretz is not doing a good job. She's doing her best. She's not bad. Yeah. But she is no sissy spacey. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the big, big downsides, sadly. Chloe Grace Moretz is fine, but she has far too much strength to play Carrie, and that doesn't help. Also, Chloe Grace Moretz, I think, is she doesn't really look like she's one of somebody who is an outcast, which Sissy Spacek did. I think Angela Bettis nails in the 2002 film. It's really not the same here with her. There's a lot of like, she's all that going on with this, where like she takes off her glasses or she does her hair and all of a sudden she's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Like that's a lot that that's what this feels like quite a bit. And that to me doesn't really help the film really hit is Chloe Grace Moretz never really feels like that outsider that Sissy Spacek was. And because of that, it, it is less interesting. And like I said, Chloe Grace Moretz, you know, I think she, there's actors who show kind of strength in their performances. And I think she's, you know, more of an action lead or anything like that than, you know, cause she did things like the fifth wave and kick ass. Then I would think for a weak character like Carrie white and, I understand that was a different direction that Kimberly Pierce wanted to take, but if it was, it didn't work. She didn't pull that off. So if that's what she wanted, it just did not come together. Chloe Grace Moretz might've been done a disservice. Once again, I don't think she should have tried to go out for this part because, you know, Carrie White is not like, you know, a strong, strong part. That's not what it is. And she hits it that way. And it it just never really comes together. Yeah. To prepare for the role, Chloe Grace Moretz learned how to sew dresses and locked herself in a closet to get into the mindset of Carrie. She also tried not to break character when she was on set. So there's a, a couple sequences I want to talk about and a couple funny things that, uh, that were on my mind about the movie. One of which is they bring a book scene back, and that is with Chris. They have her dad come in and talk to the principal and Miss Desjardins, who, by the way, it is Judy Greer is playing Miss Desjardins. She's no longer Miss Collins. Mm-hmm. So in this sequence, the only reason I wanted to point it out is, like I said, this is from the book, and her this is pretty much goes the same way, except it has a much tighter ending here because her uploading the YouTube video clearly means Chris is guilty. And the book doesn't really have that. They have to just sort of have a standoff on legal precedent and who could sue who. Yeah. And that that's something that, that doesn't go as well. So that's one scene that I think is an improvement from the book. That is done pretty well here. Also, the actor who plays her father, do you recognize who that is? He's from NYPD Blue. Hans. Booby. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's who he is. He's uh, the guy from Die Hard. I was, name I just I was thinking of the Rage of Carrie's father. Oh. He's from NYPD Blue. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so <laughs> he does that part in this one. And it's just one of the little moments that I like. That, uh, once again, something they captured, I think, from... From the book that I think is worth noting as well. Uh, another change that I think is interesting here is Chris and Billy are more evil in this version. Or I think in the original film, you could see this is a prank that's going way, way out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Chris is almost like over the top evil. And Billy is a little bit more of the sociopath he is in the King novel, which is very typical for a, a King antagonist. But he's a little bit closer to that here. Even though he he doesn't really get a lot of time to shine, sadly. Even if he is by far the most menacing portrayal, since John Travolta's was just an idiot following along with what his girlfriend wanted and helped to kind of lighten up that story. Their storyline is a little bit darker in Carrie 2013 between Chris and Billy. Yeah. 
And I, I think that's something that's interesting. And they, they get a far more brutal death. What do you think about prom montage versus prom montage? Both of these movies have one. This is what I was talking about. Like this movie has to shoehorn in a, a prom montage of all the cool kids getting their dresses and getting their hair done yeah. just because the first movie had it. And you know, it shoves in, I think a vampire weekend song. I found the sequence incredibly cringy and I'm in my late thirties. So I can only imagine what somebody would look at, you know, somebody who was like 17 looking at this movie today. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't even remember the scene to be honest with you. Yeah. I just, you know, because both movies have a parallel, like they, they have these two scenes and I think it's just so forgettable and almost just shoehorned in into the 2013 version where everything just sort of, it was a weird quirk of the way the seventies worked and how DePalma shot it, that there was even that kind of sequence there. And it's one of the things like, I feel like this movie is just kind of shackled by the memories of the classic DePalma film. And I think that's another good example of it that I want to talk about there. King didn't actively consult on this film, but he really wanted Lindsay Lohan to play Carrie. That would have been awful. She was knee deep in drugs. Yeah, that would have been awful. Well, I mean, it would have been far more interesting to cover. I mean, it really, really would have been far more interesting to cover that than anything else. If she would have had like a drug field thing and then just been awful on set. Maybe this could have been her. I know who killed me in a different universe. Yeah. Instead, we, we got that piece of shit instead. And, and one day I'll find a way for us to talk about that. But man, what a different world that would have been if she'd have been stuck in this movie. No kidding. Yeah. So are you ready to talk about this prom? Yes. Yes. Exactly what I want to get to. This prom is less interesting. Yeah. And that is really unfortunate. Yeah. It's it generic it, prom number two. Yeah. It doesn't have the dynamic camera work that the original has. Now, granted, not every director can bring that sort of ability. That's a unique thing to like Paul Thomas Anderson and Brian De Palma, these guys who can do amazing wonders and things like that. That's not something people can really do. But it just doesn't really have a lot going on, sadly. There's a couple things that I wanted to ask you about, one of which is the blood pour. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the blood pour? I like it. Do you like Yeah, because it, it's much more showy in this yeah. one, right? Like it cascades off of her and, and like sort of flies. And I think the way she's covered is- In their face. Yeah, like it's in her eye, yeah. which I like. That obviously you can tell they took the time to carefully design her makeup and how that was going to go, as opposed to just like Sissy Spacek's husband just throwing a bucket of carol syrup on his wife. Like, <laughs> And that's all De Palma did, did it once. They're like, all right, we'll figure it out after there. So that bit of micromanaging really helped in this movie because I think she looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I really like. How do you feel about CG? <laughs> they can't see that face. But listen, the CG is an upgrade, yeah. but it ain't amazing. No. I think that's the what I, I want to take away it's from it. It doesn't looking. suck. For the time, I think it's okay, but that's the problem. It's just okay. The psionic wave that she shoots out that sends everybody back, it, it looks... You know, it looks all right. You know, there's a couple of times it looks digitally. I kind of liked it. I yeah. kind of like that part. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's okay. You know, her moving the wires around, I think is, that looks fine. You know, just none of the effects are really groundbreaking. And nothing in the whole prom sequence is shot in a dynamic way that makes it really interesting. Mm -hmm. Kimberly Pierce really struggles as a director to bring like Final Destination like Mayhem into the scene, mm -hmm. like to just give a horror audience what they want to see. And she really struggles, really. 
And that's a shame because she's not a horror director. And this was going to be something that was going to be a big deal. The problem with it is if you're making a Carrie movie, the prom thing is kind of the showpiece. Hello. Yeah, it's kind of the showpiece. And there there really isn't a moment that's that's really impressive. I I guess the other aspect of it that I liked is we are shown that Carrie is in much more control. Mm -hmm. And we're shown that in a couple of ways. And and the most major one is uh, Miss Desjardins getting choked and then pulled on stage. Mm-hmm. Her getting dropped behind Carrie, she saves her because that's the only person who's been good to Carrie, and she brutally murders the rest, everybody else in there. You know, as they get electrocuted, and she floats over all that shit. She flies in this one. Yeah, she floats over it. Which I don't remember the novel mentioning her floating, but that doesn't seem far out of the realm of the possibility of her powers. But it, as far as I know, it doesn't mention it. Her flying to me seemed really hokey. It did. Chloe Grace choosing to have her mouth kind of like. A little agape, like just just a uh, just a couple inches apart, like not like open or kind of closed, but just a little open. Like I was like, "There's pig blood. Don't let it get in there." <laughs> like I thought that every time that I saw that, it looked a little weird. That was a bad decision. Like it just kind of, if she was trying to look badass, it it didn't really come through as, as sort of amazingly. Like how how badass does this basically look when it's time to become? you know, Carrie, the killer, mm-hmm. you know, that moment never really happens for Chloe Grace Moretz. And that that's incredibly unfortunate. So now that we've got the, the mayhem, we do have, I do want to mention that we do have a stunt woman on fire. We do. That's a cool death. And that, yeah. that I do like that's done very well. She twists around like that. I love that twirl. There's another death later on, two of the twins. Yeah. Uh, they get held onto the ground. And they get trampled to death. Mm-hmm. They move their hands. They can't move, but they move their hands together and they hold hands as they die. I thought that was a particularly brutal kill. I thought that was pretty well done. And that's really about it. Yeah. That's really two moments in there that I liked. I think one person gets crushed by the stairs, which seems like it's out of a comedic movie. Yeah, because she pulls it a couple of times. Yeah, she slams it down. But yeah, I mean, as I said, it's not great, but the fire does look really good. That CG does hold up and it, it is a big body count. Now we go outside of the prom because the prom is pretty much burning up right now. Yeah, it's in flames. And then we have the confrontation between. And this time she's like the Terminator. Yeah. Like she comes out and she's like, where are you, Chris? I'm going to find you, bitch. And like she, she immediately goes for her as opposed to like in the original Carrie White walks home and on her way home, Chris tries to run her over, which I I think is fine. It, it, It works for that movie. This one is is showing off more of the strength of Carrie. She goes down there and uh, she causes that big accident, which crushes Billy's nose and a pretty cool effect. And then you have Chris with her face, Mortal Kombat style, stuck in the windshield of the car. That's pretty metal. I yeah. did like that. That's pretty cool. That is a much better death for those two characters in this movie. And it works because they're, they're more evil in this film. But I like that. They, she has that brutal death in there, and then she just blows them up, mm-hmm. she drops that on the gas station, and a gas station explodes, which is similar to the book. Yeah, more carnage is everything was condensed to the high school in the original film, and this movie shows a little bit more extending out from Carrie's madness. But pretty much from then, we go directly into everything we already know. We go, she's going to go meet the mother, just like yep. in the previous movie. She takes a bath. Nothing is going to change her. And I mentioned like the previous movie because this is not like the book at all. 
Mm-hmm. The the book, well, I mean, the book she does go to meet her mother, but it's in a different order. So we're, we're basically doing the De Palma film again. So an opportunity to try to do the book's ending or the way that one went has already gone bye bye, and that's fine. It's whatever, but it's just something interesting to note. Is you're more remaking that movie than readapting the book, which is mm-hmm. one of my biggest issues. So she comes back home and. None of this works. <laughs> None of this re- really works because I think this whole sequence in the original is made by Piper Laurie and her, her fawning and her insanity when she's like, she put his hands all over me. I loved it. Like the way she's just, <laughs> I mean, she's just bonkers. And Carrie's like, please hold me. Stop talking about sex with dad. Like she just wants to be held and her mother can't help but be a fucking weirdo in this one moment. And this movie, with her mother being a little bit more caring, I think the move over to trying to kill Carrie isn't quite as effective. And also her killing her mother isn't as effective. The Matrix-style swoop to the digital scissors, none of that looks very good. See, I liked it. Um, Oh, did you? Yeah, I liked the whole scene. Um, I think Piper Laurie can be a little too theatric for me. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, she you don't can, say she can be a little much. And I, I believe that Julianne Moore or M- Margaret is in this movie is I, I believe that she would would lure her in and kill her mm-hmm. or try to kill her because she's saving her in yeah. a way. Yeah, she cares about her that much. She's trying to save her. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Just just to me, I said it was less interesting, but I can certainly understand where you're coming from, that it, it does lead to a bit more of a realistic relationship between the characters mm-hmm. as opposed to what was in the other movie. I think where the it does fall apart is one of the things they want to incorporate from the book, which is that Sue does eventually come and find Carrie in the book. Here, Sue just shows up to the White House. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, she just kind of senses it. And she gets there. And we're only given a couple things in this sequence. Carrie is bringing the house down on herself like she did in the previous movie, which makes no sense in this one, by the way. Carrie, as played by Sissy Spacek, was a scared girl. Her mother was dead. She would have no idea what to do with anything, much less what's going to happen after everything that just occurred. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't doubt for a second that Carrie thought that she was evil and she deserved to burn in hell and brought the house upon herself and lit it on fire. I don't buy that at all for this version of Carrie. This version was, as Chloe Grace and is far too strong. She just killed everybody at the prom and nobody can stop her. Why would she kill herself? And then there's that cringy moment where she reaches her hand up. Yeah, this is what I want to bring the, up. On the stomach. Yeah. And it's like, you're having a girl. You didn't know? Oh my it's god! Like, yeah, oh my I, I god. like it's it was peak like cringe. I physically did it at that moment, like ugh. Oh, like me it, too. it just it felt awful. It was undeserved and unearned. There's one moment early on where she pukes going into the toilet, and I think in the book Sue mentions that as well that that Tommy got her pregnant, you know. And there was a sex scene early on in this movie, like there was in the book, so that tracks. But I mean, it it's unneeded. It's unnecessary. It doesn't really add to anything, and it just takes away. From this moment. And then she stops all this and then sends her out and was in the book. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, what is in the previous film as Carrie's powers out of control and giving her what she thinks she deserves? It's just Chloe Grace finishing herself off. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then we get one more book parallel. We are 
in front of the white commission. We see yeah. Sue talking to them. And basically she sort of sums up the entirety of the events. And then we go to what this movie passes off as an ending, which is different depending on which version that you have. We had the theatrical version and that is Sue passing by the grave of Carrie white. And it says Carrie rots in hell and the grave cracks and that's it. Nothing. Mm -hmm. I think in the, the and pardon me, in the director's cut, Sue is giving birth. And when she gives birth, Carrie's hand comes out of her vagina and reaches up and grabs her. I'm not shitting you, by the way. That is what was the original ending. And then she wakes up, Sue. Sue wakes up in bed screaming hysterical, like in the first movie. Because wow. the movie has to have a jump scare to end. Uh, the movie ends on such a sour note. And it's a shame, too, because it's not bad. Like, I know I had a lot of negative things to say, but... I mean, you'll have a lot of negative things to say when you're starting off with a 10 in the original movie, and this is like a 7. I don't like to use numerical scores, but this would have been a 7, but the ending took it down to like a 6 territory for me. The, the ending just really just kind of flopped for me, and it's such a shame, because a lot of other things in this movie work really well. I do want to say before we move on to the next one, Studio Interference cut out 40 minutes of this movie. See, I'm really curious about that because I feel like there is a different version of this movie that's around somewhere. There was. With more book stuff. Because I know, I know that they shot the, um, the sequence with the sunbather. She wanted it to yeah. be, the director wanted it to be closer to the book. Yeah, I know they shot that because there's stills from it. The uh, studio wanted it to be closer to De Palma's movie. Hmm. So that's why... You Those had, scenes feel shoehorned. Yeah. And then you had forced reshoots uh, to make it closer to the 1976 version while the director wanted it to be closer. And that and that makes sense because there's a parallel to the blowjob scene that we talked about last week that's sort of, you know, he slaps Chris around a little bit and it's kind of played for laughs if, even if there's some domestic abuse. But that sequence is in the movie and it makes no sense for this version of mm -hmm. Billy. At all. Now, they cut that. That was in the deleted scenes, but I remember when I saw it, I was like, this doesn't work at all for this version of the character. And so that that's interesting. I'm not surprised. It does feel like the studio was like, let's get away from all this other stuff and get to the things that people know and that they like and they want to see. You know, that seems like something an exec would do to try to make it like the classic and, and what hurt this movie. Who knows what actually could have been something that's a little closer. Maybe some of the things I just talked about are mentioned. Maybe they do discuss some of the class issues. Maybe they do go into um, a more of a feminine portrayal of everything that we could have seen, but instead they had to shoehorn elements from De Palma's old movie and, and it took all that away. Mm -hmm. It is a shame, you know, to think of what it could have been, but at the end of the day, I, I don't really hate this movie, but it is a pretty pointless remake for not really changing a lot. The studio, right. Yeah, the studio made a bad decision. I mean, I think if you've never seen a, a version of Carrie, you know, this is an okay version to you watch. You could do worse. Yeah, you could do worse. This is an okay version to see, but like I said, that there's there's other ways you could go here. Go watch De Palma's version. Exactly. So with that being said, in 2000, I'm sorry, <clears throat> in 1999. Yeah, I know. We're going back to the 90s, baby. The peak of the 90s. And that is 1999. The era of Limp Biscuit itself. So in 1999, we get Eddie K. Thomas, Mina Suvari, Rachel Blanchard, Zachary Ty Bryan, Amy Irving, Dylan Bruno, Jason London, and Emily Burgle in The Rage Carry 2. 
Mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet, a tale of star-crossed lovers pulled apart by their families, by society, and some might say, by fate. Now, why is it that we are so moved? Meredith, do you remember when you first saw this separation? movie? It's okay. I didn't mean to scare you. It's okay. I'm here. We're recording a podcast. I just said, like, Meredith's going to be like, what? What is this in there? Do I have class today? You just gave me a look like a test you didn't study for. It made me flashback. Yeah. Do you, do you remember how you first saw Carrie, the rage Carrie too? No. You have no memory. I have no memory. I only, I think I, I rented it and I remember it was the first movie I ever forgot to return. The movie was so forgettable. I forgot to take it back. I forgot to rewind the DVD and take it back to L&M Video or whatever the hell. Rewind the DVD? Yeah, <laughs> rewind the DVD. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure at this point it was DVD. <sighs> the Rage Carry 2 stinks. That's the long and the short of it. This is a movie that has probably the dumbest screenplay that I think I, I've ever seen or I've ever heard. Yeah, it starts It starts off kind of weird. We got basically like uh, the mother painting the house red. Yeah, which leads to one of my favorite shots of the movie is she's painting and little Rachel comes up to her and she's like, Mama, we can play in this. And she just leans over and slaps her with a red paintbrush <laughs> and she just walk, walks away. And I was like, wait, I love this movie. <laughs> For a brief moment, I truly identify with everything that was the rage carried too. And eventually her mother gets committed and... Yeah, we Rachel's we, upset about it. Kid we, Rachel, we switch from black to white. Yeah, which is the one movie. Black and white. Which is I'm the sorry. one move this movie has is doing these music video Style. effects. Yeah, doing these reject Rob Zombie effects. Mira Savino's in this, so that's a nice change of pace. Mina Savar, you mean? Oh my god. I wrote down Mirror Savino. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie does not feature future Oscar winner Mira Sorvino. Why did I write that down? Anyway, she plays Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, she plays Rachel's best friend, Lisa. Uh, the movie opens up with um let me let me let me play a little bit. The the movie sets the vibe down perfectly for 1999. Three, four, Do you feel five, the ska? Oh man, it's so 90s. It's so perfect. <laughs> this movie is uh, one of my favorite things about this movie is the way it looks. It yeah. just takes me back. The, the fashion is spot on for 1990. Yeah, on. it really is. It's perfect. What are these new rules here? I, I couldn't imagine. Oh, this is where the jocks are reducing the, the rules for how they sleep with girls. They calculate points on who they bang. Yeah. Yeah, but I figure if he's got the balls to go in there after you, you dirty little shit, I'm giving him an extra point. <laughs> Hey guys. This element is semi-important in the story because sometimes it does take uh, precedence and, and we need it for the, the prank at the end, but it's really not a driving force in the narrative, right? And it's loosely based on a 1993 incident of a spur posse involved in a sex scandal. Okay, yeah, so this is based off a real thing. That story is really interesting. The way this movie uses it is pretty superficial. Yeah. You just take the point system that they used. Veronica Mars is a storyline about this as well, and that was probably five or six years later, and they did a little better. I guess it's one of the things, and we'll talk to you when we get to the ending here, but uh, that is one of the elements that's going to run through the plot here. Basically, our story kicks off with a suicide. Yeah. That is how, that's our inciting incident, is Amina Suvari, uh, what's her character name? 
Lisa. Lisa. Lisa jumps off a building. She just told Rachel she had lost her virginity and found a boy that she was in love with. And later that day, she's dead. Rachel finds her and then does a psionic blast that opens up all the lockers because she's so upset. And this spawns Amy Irving into action. <laughs> Sue, activate Sue Snell powers. Na, 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 na. Sue Snell comes in and, and immediately tries to comfort Carrie. Also, before they leave Lisa's death, there's a guy with a camcorder and he's like getting close up. So he's like, dude, like, I don't know why, but he's totally like stoked about seeing this dead girl. <laughs> like, I know she wasn't super popular, but Jesus Christ, a woman is dead. <laughs> yeah, we really don't get a reason why. Like we don't even get to see the the suicide note. We don't even get to read no. The, 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 the cop note. reads it to us, and Eric Zachary Ty Bryan from Home Improvement. Oh, he comes in and he tells us a little bit more about it later on. He just said he didn't want to be serious. And it was he didn't want a girlfriend, and she killed herself. Which I mean is incredibly unfortunate. That part not necessarily his fault. She was just a pump. Yeah, she was just a pump. Weirdly enough, his character does seem a little sympathetic. It's his friend who is more the driving force, like forcing guys to be a little bit more in in line with him and what he thinks about women and how he wants to treat them. Because he did really seem to sort of care for Lisa a bit, even though that, that doesn't really matter because we, we don't see a whole lot of it. I only mentioned it because in one scene, it does seem like he kind of feels bad about this whole thing. Throughout this whole thing, there's no bullying. So There's bullying. There absolutely is bullying. Mr. Bing, on your feet. This is between the coach and... Turn around, drop trash. Who is supposed to be the bad guy in the movie, by the way? You heard? Drop trash, shorts and all. Now, son! If you want to stay a starter on this team... Come on, son, you undress like a girl. Let's go. After that half-ass block, I just wanted to check to see if maybe you had a tampon string hanging between your legs. <laughs> yeah, all that for a tampon joke. All that for he's a pussy joke. And he, like, looks at his ass. He really does. He gets his head right up there, right up next yeah. to that guy's ass. I mean, he's, like, right there. I mean, the way the shot is framed, like, first of all, his, the guy's ass is lovingly lit. It has just these hard shadows across it, beautifully done. <laughs> and because the, all the lighting is from the projector. It's one of the, the most visually interesting scenes in the movie. It and, really is. And it leads to a guy looking at another man's ass for a tampon streak. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the rage carry to has done to us people. So, so this guy gets pulled, and he's the bad guy of the movie. And the coach is such a jerk. And, and there was a cut scene. Where the coach is like, is there any dog in you? And he forces all the players to eat like raw meat, right? Yeah, he does. <laughs> it was so It's weird. insane. It's like, insane. no coach would ever no, do that. No, no. Hey, everybody, let's get food poisoning. Have you got any dog in you? Like, it was so strange. And like I was like, I can see why they ended up cutting that. But like, that sequence is there. It's strange. It makes you sympathize with the bad guy of the movie for a brief period. It's an odd decision to say the least, but I wanted to point that out because that's more the bullying. I think it's an interesting idea for bullying, but the movie really isn't concerned with. Yeah, that I didn't look at it that way. Oh yeah, he's totally bullying that guy. Yeah. I mean, coaches do bullshit like that all the time, and I'm sure a coach might do that. But as even in 1990, that's a little extreme for mm -hmm. a coach to ask you to pull your pants down. I mean, he might make a comment about you on your period, but for him to do that, that that's pretty goddamn extreme. 
Oh, uh, by the way, if we're talking about teachers here, I did want to mention the English teacher early on when they're talking about Romeo and Juliet. And uh, Jeremy London does finally uh, give him the answer he wants. And he's so excited. And he was like, well, maybe because they're together in death that it's not truly a tragedy. And that English teacher's like, yeah! <laughs> you got it! Yeah, like he's like, that's it! I taught one more student! I can finally Woo! retire! So he leaves the building, you know, don't you forget about... Just <laughs> walks away, <laughs> fist up high in the air. It just was another weird sequence of the movie, and I enjoyed that. I like when movies have character. This movie has a little bit of character, but it has a lot of dumb shit, too. Yeah, we uh, we got a flashback. From the Carrie 76 movie. Yeah, yeah. When we're introduced to Amy Irving, she gives us cash flashbacks to, to Carrie with Sissy Spacing. What do you think about Rachel's character? I think she's pretty well played by Emily Burgle, by the way. But she isn't... I mean, she's not a, the most interesting character. I, I, I think she's the best character of the movie. You know, she gets... I mean, she's the lead, so I mean, she should be. So she gets a little bit more to do than most people and does get to show off a little bit more. So, I mean, she's not bad. I mean, she's really one of the movie's saving graces, a fine performance here. And, you know, once again, her her character decisions almost make sense, except for one glaring one. The glaring one is that, like, she doesn't really have a conflict that she's pursuing through the movie. Mm -hmm. And that's really unfortunate because the movie really could use any other storyline thread to chomp on because her friend dies and that's inconsequential to her once that moment yeah. is done. It's not even brought up really. Yeah. And if this was a movie about, and once again, I'm going to harp upon a movie that doesn't exist. that only exists in my head. But if this was a movie about like her friend was killed because of what these guys did and what these jocks, you know, perpetrated and it was about her getting revenge in some way, man, I'm totally down for that movie. That sounds far, far more interesting, but it's not really about that. It's really trying to be a carry story. And because of that, you can't really have her be aggressive with those guys, right? Right. Because she has to be pranked because that's how a carry story works. And because this is a requel, we have to have that element. So because of that, she can't really do anything with the other football players. Rachel is stuck in a love story throughout this film. Mm hmm. And sadly, she's stuck in it with a block of wood as one of the London brothers. They are not particularly fantastic actors, and they're not great here. However, I think she is actually kind of charming in that love story. Like, her half of it kind of works. She isn't really that bad. So even though she doesn't get to do anything more interesting, I do think the actress does make the best of it and almost makes his character palpable. Man, it feels like the police are investigating a suicide in this movie. It's so weird. I yeah, know, I yeah. know that there's this whole there's statutory, statutory rape. rape. Yeah, there's statutory rape. But it, d it feels like they're investigating a suicide. Yeah, yeah. I guess the cop, because he finds that suicide letter early on, feels like he's got to see this one through. But I feel like in real life, that's a situation where a cop's like, yeah, I don't care. Or like, he's just never going to get to the bottom of this mystery at all because he doesn't really give a shit. It's suicide open and shut. But for some reason, he, he does want to find out what happened to the girl. But maybe that's a little bit of small town policing. You know, nothing better to do. And it, of course, we, we have to have it so we can have our inciting incident and move on with the football player side of the story. Yeah, Eric. If, if, yeah, if, if we don't get him trying to pursue Eric, we really can't get the football players in the prank. We really can't get them interacting with Rachel in any way that's meaningful. 
Yeah, because after that, they, they go harass Rachel at home. Yeah, yeah. And then that's the only thing that really ties her to their story in any way, is that they want to intimidate her by knocking her house around, clearly showing their faces to her, calling her, using their voices, and only disguising it once as Donald Duck. Their identities are pretty revealed and when they do this, and they break shit and run away. Of course, Eric gets his hand broken as well. I mean, probably the dumbest attempt to try to do intimidation. However, I will say, kids do stupid shit, so it might work. Mm. Yeah, kids do stupid shit. So I, I will give it that, but you really shouldn't be depending on that for me to hold your story together, right? Mm. Yeah, the yeah. dumb shit needs to occur. We find out that Ralph White is Carrie's father and Rachel's father, so they are sisters. Yes, and, and this is, we talked about this earlier, like what a time issue this kind of makes, because... I mean, Carrie is a teenager in 1976, mm-hmm. and Rachel is a teenager in 1999, and Carrie's dad's supposed to be dead. However, Margaret's a pretty unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. So he could still be very much alive out there, fathering a, a whole brood of telekinetic children, moving things around the entire country with their mind. You know, we don't know. That, that could be what's going on here. But either way, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I, I tell you one thing. Carrie's father, he's got a type, right? He's like, mm, you're obsessed with the Lord to a crazy degree. Damn, that's fine, girl. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I don't know why, but he feels like that's it right there. Like, ooh, flagellation. Mm, daddy likes. Like, it just seems so strange. But he's got his type, and it's what we have to have, so this can be a Carrie, too. Eric goes in front of the police with his dad. Eric uh, has has to get evidence to of a plot to sleep with underage girls among his friends, which is very implausible. Yeah. So we get like, it's like a baby's version of what the legal system might be like in this scene between the DA. the <laughs> Yeah. Like if I told my daughter, Hey, write a legal drama. This is like the kind of bullshit that she might write. Because nothing in this scene makes any sense. We have the DA played by the director, and then we have the sheriff that we've been talking with, Eric, and his, his lawyer, his lawyer father, and then a, a, a city council member, maybe a, maybe the mayor. I'm not real certain who the other guy is. He just shows. She's, okay, so she. She's uh, the DA. She's the junior DA. Oh, okay. And he's the he's DA. He's the senior he's DA. He's the DA. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's who he is. Okay. So he shows up, and eventually, what what, what goes down the whole sequence is that Eric's father says, well, if you try to bring down my son, I'll bring down all the other families in town with him, and that'll destroy this town, embarrass everybody. And I'm like, so your plan is to bring people more rich and powerful than you down with you? Homie, that's how you end up wearing cement shoes. That's not how you get ahead in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, no, no, no. One of us gets in trouble. You're the take the fall guy because you were dumb enough to bang the the 16-year-old and leave evidence of that. Like, that's just what happens in that situation. Like, I remember, like, I was sitting there just watching, and I was like, no, they would hire a hitman to kill you and your son if you tried to do that. Like, that is not how that would work. Rich people don't all stick together. Like, nah, 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 you less rich and you unfortunate in this situation. You're on your own. Like, that's what it would be. And like I said, the DA comes in just to wipe it under the rug. And listen, that story element could be interesting and okay if the movie wanted to do anything else with those charges. But nothing about that storyline means anything except we have to have it to prank Rachel at the end. 
Otherwise, nothing about this matters. Nothing about her meeting with the DA. Nothing about all the scenes with the sheriff looking into it. None of it means fucking anything at all. It's just shit to fill time. Mm-hmm. And that's it until, like I said, we get to the final sequences. Uh, props to Zachary Ty Bryan flipping off the DA as he leaves. He makes him look like a great rich guy douche. He really goes into being a bad guy at that moment. It works out pretty well. And then the, once again, the football player shaving the head after that really hammers at home with all of them looking like skinheads. Yeah. And so we move on to what we get. Rachel loses her virginity. Yeah. Um, There's a cute sequence early on where they're making out in the car and she's like, I don't want to lose it here. I want flowers. And it, like I said, those little sequences work. She's good in that. What are like, your favorite flowers? It, yeah. Like, I mean, he's, Daisies. he's still, yeah. He's like, what are your favorite flowers? I know. I'm like Daisies. And she's like, she's like, please try to be sweet with me like a human. Instead, London's just like, <laughs> <laughs> just like puking his dialogue out. But, you know, that, that kind of works, and they kind of make up with those jocks a little bit so they can get the cabin, right? So they have a nice secluded place for her to go and lose her virginity. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah, of course it's nice to them, but it's all a ruse. They've been filmed. Yep. Which is pretty obvious. And which you find I, I, out I, at the party. Yeah, well, you, you see them at, when they've slept together. You see them outside the windows running. You do see evidence of them actually filming that the characters don't see. And it does obviously come into play at the party. Oh, wait, I want to mention the football game. Because of that, Rachel is grounded. She doesn't come home that night because she was to get in the good dick. She gets smacked. She gets smacked by her irrelevant stepfather and stepmother who don't figure into anything as foster fucking plot. Parents. Foster, you know what I mean. Her foster parents doesn't matter. Don't you correct me. <laughs> I'll hit you like a foster child. So they, um, they don't matter. There's a big football game because, of course, it's a high school movie. There's always a big football game. So do we even give a shit about this game? No. But they just invented scouts that these kids need to see a few scenes earlier to make this have some level of importance, right? Mm -hmm. Who gives a flying fuck? Anyway, Rachel runs to the game, and she just is told, you can't sneak out of the house. This is like, ah, fuck it. Sneaks out of the house anyway. And then she runs to the game, and she doesn't watch in the stands like a normal person. (laughs) Rachel runs... To the goddamn sideline. Yeah. Like, right on the bench. Like, someone's about to, like, hand her, like, a towel or something like that. Or she's about to go in and punt. That's how fucking close she is onto the goddamn field. So she can watch this. And eventually, like, you know, he wins the game. And because he won the game, he gets to talk to one of the scouts. And because of this one incident, the whole finale can happen. The entire bully's plan would have completely fallen apart if he'd have gone out and performed like shit. Because the scout wouldn't have talked to him, and he'd have grabbed Rachel and taken her to the party, right? Yeah. Instead, this one thing that wasn't guaranteed to happen at all makes it all come together. Because the bullies lie to Rachel, say, hey, let's go to the party. That's what he wanted you to do when he really wanted her to wait behind. And then Jesse's girlfriend, whose character name I forget that doesn't really matter, she sabotages car? Like, she slashes his tires, and she paints, like, you know, home team sucks or whatever, uh, all over his, all over his jeep, so he can't take it, and she has to be his ride to this mythical party. And so she, <laughs> and you know, once again, it's pretty goddamn convoluted. And all she's going to do is like change outfits to delay him. Mm-hmm. And this allows the prank to be set up, which is basically them telling her about the rule system and revenge porn. Right? Right. They say Jesse was just using you so he could win the game. They throw the points in her face, and this leads to. The whole entire reason we have a Carrie movie. 
we get a very 90s version as she's on the ground reeling from this watching everyone's laughing at her having sex and like it's like music video effects of people's faces moving too quick and you know this crappy music sucker finally finally we get the psionic blast and she starts to make her way and starts laying waste to people how did you feel about this version of the carry sequence I didn't like any of it. Not one bit. The the CG is so bad. Yeah, the the CG is... Dated. There's a little bit of it, just a little bit. Uh, There's a fire poker that comes up that's pretty rough to to look at. For the most part, like, all the fire is real. They were careful to do that. They, you know, there were some things they could do CG, and, you know, that works okay. But for the most part, it's a lot of mindless mayhem. You know, there's a CD death that's worse than Hellraiser 3's. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of a funny thing to note. There's decapitation that happens really quickly. Some people are burned to death. No, nothing's particularly interesting. The, the storyline with uh, Sue Snell going to get Rachel's mother comes to a conclusion for, for no real reason at all. Sue is eventually hit with the really shitty looking digital fire poker. Yeah. She's hit with that and she's killed. So that's all Sue gets to do. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. We get a shitload of carnage. Um, a lot of fire. A lot of fire. We do get one nice sequence, which is one of the girls who's a bully has glasses. And that's Rachel Blanchard. Uh, she was fake Alicia Silverstone in the Clueless show for a number of years. Uh, she gets her glasses exploded and her eyes taken out. And this is right. Well, she has a spear gun for some reason. I don't know why this house doesn't have shotguns. They had spear yeah, guns. Yeah, they all had over the spear house. guns. Yeah, and she spear guns the guy Eric. She spear guns his dick right off into the pool. She shoots all of his junk, which kills him. And if not, he'd rather be dead anyway. Yeah. So yeah, she dies from the eye wounds. He dies from that. And the bully is our main he's bully. He's drowned. Yeah, he's drowned in the pool in, in a pretty lame sequence. This movie milks a pool cover more than Unbreakable does. I mean, they really get a lot of mileage out of that pool cover coming down because pool covers move like what one inch an hour and it comes in, hits that guy in the head and almost knocks him out. Makes the whole scene possible. Also him drowning took forever. It really does. Like he's down there. just like, just sucking in air forever. I'm like, just fucking drown already. guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then like, she has to slowly cut her way out with a harpoon gun. When I'm like, you have mind bullets. Use those. I think the most egregious thing about all of this is she dies. She doesn't use her powers to save herself, even though she brings up her arms. Yeah, to try to stop it. To try to stop it. And then she just, like, doesn't use any of those mind bullets again. Yeah. She just, you know, once she is, once she believes that her boyfriend, Jesse, is truly innocent. And by the way, she does this by using her powers to zoom in on a VHS tape. I guess she has some analog ability I'm unaware of. She fixed the tracking properly so she could hear him go, I love you. I love you. I love you over and over again. This makes her save him. And that, that ends it right there because then we go to the finale and, and where does the finale take place at King's university? Yeah. Could that be a reference to someone perhaps? Uh, Fuck this movie. Jesse goes to the door. Rachel comes out. He goes to embrace her and she explodes in a million pieces. And this movie gives you something that passes for a jump scare. And it's awful. Mm-hmm. This movie is a gigantic train wreck. It really is. This, yeah. This movie had two directors. The first one apparently did such a terrible job. He was fired. And then they threw, I think, uh, Cat Shay onto the movie to reshoot what was already done and to salvage it. And 
I can only imagine what the original must have been like. I feel bad for her. She got less than a week prep time to just like jump into a major motion picture and figure it out. I mean, the movie has a good budget, but if you're not prepared, none of that really matters. Yeah. And also, this screenplay was just idiotic. I mean, just I mean, just a truly terrible script. I don't think this screenwriter really worked ever after this movie. I took a look earlier. He wrote something else um, somewhat notable that's also really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, th- th- this was par for the course. And after this, he was sort of done. And it makes sense because this is terrible. This never, this was just a random movie that had a girl with psychic powers and just happened. MGM had that script and we're like, fuck it. Let's make it a care movie. We own that license. So this is what we got. And it's awful. You got any other final thoughts on this one? No, I agree completely with you. I, I didn't like it. I uh, thought it would be fun, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that that really uh, sums it up. I thought it would be a nice piece of like '90s cheese to go back and revisit. I love the style. I love the look of the movie, but other than that, yeah, it it, it didn't really come together. So. This ends this requel. Do not recommend it at all. Do not check this one out. Uh, even if you have some 90s nostalgia, it's not really worth it. You know, you, you'll never see it on cable again. It'll be lost to time. And speaking of something else that'll be lost to time, in 2002, NBC commissioned a TV movie for Carrie, a backdoor pilot, and this starred Shaylin Simmons, Rena Sofer, Catherine Isabel, David Keats showing up again as Stephen Kingworth, Emily DeRaven, Patricia Clarkson, and Angela Bettis in Carrie 2002. Something has happened at you in high school. Something horrible. Something evil. And one man must find out what it was. To the going theory is... I like how this trailer portrays David Keith's character like he's the hero of the movie. Like there's even a hero in the story of Carrie. So, this is produced by Brian Fuller, who we really like. He's done Pushing Daisies, Hannibal, Dead Like Me. Been a part of a lot of fantastic shows. This is not no. one of them. Carrie done on a TV budget was not a very good idea. One of the first things I want to talk about is this is early 2002. This was shot digitally on a Panasonic camera called a Veracam. It was limited. (laughs) You know, at the time, this wasn't a great camera. The motion looks really atrocious, looks very soap opera like. It, It just makes the movie look cheaper than it needs to be. If they just shot this on 16 millimeter, it would look a lot better and hold up quite a bit more than than it does. This is the most accurate version to the book. If you are a fan of the book and you are looking for that story portrayed, this is as close as you're going to come because all the other sequences that didn't really show up before are here. You know, Carrie meeting with the sunbather and the hail coming down, or there are more comets in this movie. You know, that's here and it's nice to see. I know they, they prepped it for the other two movies, but never actually put it in the actual cut. So who cares? But you can see it here, and it's nice that that it is there, and there's a book-accurate version. But, I mean, this is just Dime Store Carrie with really, really old high school kids. Yes. I mean, it's egregious. <clears throat> yeah. Angela Bettis, who I think is actually quite good here. The The movie's real highlights, Patricia Clarkson as Margaret White and Angela Bettis as, obviously, Carrie White. Those are the two standouts here, even though Angela Bettis looks 30. She's 28, I, I think, when I she played like the part. I didn't like Patricia. I didn't. Okay. I did not like 
either of those actresses in this movie. I, I love Carrie was very annoying. I love both of those actresses quite a bit. I, I, I like Patricia Clarkson's take on the character. I did. She's doing a bit more of what Julianne Moore tried to do a little bit more of a realistic take. Cause you can't ever match Piper Laurie. Like I, she's I, dull. I, yeah. I certainly feel like she wants to save her daughter's soul. Like when she's going to the prom, like she's almost begging to burn the dress as opposed to Piper Laurie commanding it. And Julianne Moore sort of nagging about it. Like she's almost pleading with Carrie, please don't do this. You'll become a demon if you do. Don't do it. You know, and I I like that aspect of it, but she's downplayed in this one. And that's a shame because Margaret White's kind of an important character. And anything that downplays her is not great. Chris is downplayed in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, Emily DeRaven, who is... A bit off here. Her, I think her accent comes through a little bit at times when she gets angry. It, it doesn't really help. I'd refer to Catherine Isabel had this part. Uh, she plays a book character who wasn't portrayed in any of the other versions. Uh, but Tina. she ends up she's, yeah, Tina. It's Chris's best friend. Yeah, yeah, and that 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 character sort of got rolled into Norma and stuff in the other versions. E- either way, you know, she's here, and I, I think she's actually pretty good. She's one of the better performances, but she doesn't have a lot to do at all, really, at all. So that's it. I think the kid, I'm sorry, the man who is Tommy is, I think he's okay, but he has a receding hairline. I mean, it's kind of noticeable. And that doesn't make him look like the youthful baseball player. No. He's supposed to be in the book. Uh, I think, well, his sport, I don't, I can't remember if they, no, there's no scene here that's outside or anything like that. There's no big open set anywhere. Everything's done on the cheap. So we don't see him playing any sport. I do want to mention that I think he was originally portrayed as a baseball player. He's a football player in the film. He was a lacrosse player in the 2013 adaptation. So the sport does change with the times. So this is the only adaptation where there are interviews with survivors of prom night as in King's novel. Well, there's not really interviews with people in King's novel. King's novel does have sort of a wraparound device. And that is, Chunks of the White Commission testimony and then bits from some books that have been written about the events of Carrie, what happened with Carrie White in the prom. That's really what's happening in between, like, what would be chapters of a normal Stephen King book doesn't have chapters. But there's just, like, excerpts from, like, The Shadow Exploded and, you know, Telekinesis the Brave and something like that. You know, this, and, of course, uh, a book that Sue Snell writes. So, so that's what's really the wraparound device. This movie attempts to try to adapt that a little bit, and it does an okay job. It gets the concept through, but this isn't really what was in the book. But it, it does try a little bit more than the other movies. This is the only adaptation where Margaret never mentions Carrie's father and what he did to Margaret. Yeah, they cut that out because it's a TV. Yeah. TV reboot. The same way Carrie doesn't eat shit. She's just like, you suck. And like, oh, damn carrie never recovered from that you know <laughs> but it, it you know it's that's one thing that really hurts it's only so much blood and gore and violence and sex you can really get into you know in prime time and nbc the movie was never any in any hurry to get anywhere which no. is something i did not like about it no they kept going back to these interviews with the police I don't know why they decided to do that. I guess it's just. Yeah, I mean, just just to stick with it. You know, you can tell that's what Brian Fuller wanted. He wanted to go with a closer story to the original novel. And I mean, he did that. You know, he he certainly did. But it it didn't it didn't really work. You know, a a lot of the, the book stuff that I think they tried to do, I think they were hurt by some of their limited cast. And obviously, uh, Billy Nolan 
I mean, the actor they got to play him was maybe the least intimidating man who has ever lived. Oh, my God. Let's talk about this, the bad camera work. Yeah, because we, we don't get an introduction to Billy, but we, don't, we, get introduced, we get introduced to his face. We see his face. Yeah. We're focused on his face and only his face when Chris is talking and she's still focused on the scene. It's very strange. I almost was just, I remember at the time I was like, come on, camera guy, little bit over the right. Let's yeah. get the characters it talking. Get bad. Yeah, the, you don't inter- you, do, you don't introduce Billy, but you have frame it this way. Yeah, the, we we get to see Billy, and it, it's really strange. It, it wasn't until a couple scenes later on that I was like, "Oh, that's Billy," because he doesn't say anything. He doesn't get introduced. The movie's got two hours and twelve minutes of runtime, and they don't bother to introduce one of the more important players in the whole Carrie story. It, it's incredibly bizarre to have him not get an, an entrance or to have some sort of shot to indicate who he's supposed to be. Really strange. I think Angela Bettis looks terrible in this movie, but She's not, supposed in, to. not in a good way. She's supposed to, though. I know, but I, not I, I in think, a good way. I think so. I, I like that there is, I like that she looks like an outcast, that she is an outcast. But she's I, all shaky. And that's fine. She's a weirdo and she gets it. Like, I, I'm okay with that. You know, she needs every advantage that she, she can have. And, and she sort of understands that she is a weirdo. And that she has her place in in like the hierarchy of high school. I enjoy that. I, she I was do. more interesting weirdo in May. She is, but I think that that's a that's a better version. This is this is the Carrie story while trying to be like also like a high school TV show. So a lot of that edge gets sanded off, and it doesn't really come together, you know. So Carrie just kind of gets to be kind of a misfit, but at least she looks like I want Carrie to look. She feels like a misfit. I think what she brought to the role was pretty good, to be honest. I think she did a better job with this part than Chloe Grace Moretz did. I didn't. I disagree. I don't like her performance at all. It's a part that we'll be split on because I just I look at Chloe Grace Moretz and I, I don't see Carrie White, and I look at Angela Bettis and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty close. You know, I mean, of all the things that are really wrong in this movie, I agree with you. I don't think Chloe Grace Moretz looks the character. Yeah, or is she's the too pretty? Yeah, not even just the too pretty. I mean, she's just simply too strong. You know, it's too you know, just she's too much of a force to play. She's not Carrie. demure enough. Yeah, that's a demure. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Angela Bettis just looks like a weirdo, and it works. It really does. Her performance really did work. I mean, I feel bad. This movie wasn't better to, you know. To have give her something a little bit more to work with, <laughs> to be honest, you know, because around her is a lot of bad effects and lousy versions of what De Palma did earlier and bad interpretations of King work. Why do you think that none of the films had um, portrayed Carrie like they did in the books? I think that's interesting. Well, one element to talk about is obviously the, the prom and how that goes down. In the book, Carrie is embarrassed and. Tommy is hit on the head and she runs out of the prom, runs across the street, you know, hysterical. And then remember she has her powers and she, then she goes back and she kills everybody from outside the window with a grin on her face, very much indicating that she was aware of that. Mm-hmm. And the 2013 movie is closer, closer. The 2002 film, obviously keeping her on the stage is a good idea. She shouldn't leave the prom that works better visually, but she completely zones out in the O2 version. Like Angela Bettis is in that version. She is not in control. Like her powers are like doing all that. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't like it shows that she kind of zones out and doesn't really remember anything until she gets to the tub. Like the movie visually indicates that to you, you know, more than once. And I don't like that element because I, listen, listen, it, it makes her a, a rougher character, someone who's a lot more harsh, but 
you know, she'd been pushed around one too many times. That's Carrie White. You know, she was the, the, the picked on kid who got pushed that one time too many, except she has mind powers that can kill you in a second. And nobody knew that. And that, that's, that's what I, that's what I wish was a bit more in the character is the malice that she had when she was in the prom and that she had just been pushed too far. And that was an attempt to kind of address that here. Since this Angela Bettis version of it is more aware of her social standing is more aware of the situations around herself. They still didn't really do that. And that's kind of a shame. Now they don't do it because you can't commit to making Carrie an evil psychopath who kills at a whim because you're going to do a TV show with a character. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that hurts it. And that's where it's not Mm -hmm. like the book because in the end, after the prom, Carrie survives. Yeah. And obviously that never happens in any of the other work. There's not much else about this movie. The CGI sucks. CGI sucks. Yeah. Um, I do like the water spreading effect in the finale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. There's, There's another little sequence early on that I really liked where Carrie is showing her powers. And one of the few times the movie does a nice effect and they just have like some furniture suspended in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And it's really effective. You know, there's obviously something on the other side holding it up and a few things held up by string as she walks through the house and she's upset. And that's where Tommy picks her up before the prom, which I really enjoy because when she hears him knock on the door, she drops everything and she goes, to the, <laughs> she goes to the door and opens it. He's like, what, what the hell was that noise? What's going on? Like, Oh, uh, like, did your ceiling fall down? Yeah. My ceiling fell just now. <laughs> Can I see that? No. <laughs> and she just just leaves. And th- when it went down, I could I could only think of of one thing. Oh well, that was wonderful. Good time was had by all. I'm pooped. Yes, I should be. Good lord, what is happening in there? Aurora borealis. Uh, Aurora borealis. At this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country, localized entirely within your kitchen. Yes. May I see it? No. <laughs> That's all it made me think of. And that was probably the one moment of the movie where I legitimately like chuckled to myself. Like, I, Yeah, it's because you zoned out yeah, to something I, better. I chuckled and I laughed and I, I thought of that. Yeah, but, but otherwise, you know, it, it's not real, really remarkable in any way, shape, or form. This is the worst version of Carrie you can check out. Uh, unless you're trying to write a book report on Carrie. <laughs> I don't know why you'd watch this movie other than, you know... It's extremely accurate to the book, but yeah, every, everything is just a cheaper low rent version of it. I don't recommend this one at all. You know, I'm, even Angela Bettis would tell you to watch the De Palma version. It took three days to shoot blood, uh, the blood dump scene at the prom. So that took a little time. It's a lot of blood they cover her with, by the way. It's got to be like multiple gallons, more than what's in a bucket. Even with commercial breaks being accounted for, the film was considered too short. So filmmakers were forced to shoot extra scenes to pad out the runtime to 132 minutes. And it feels that like before she gets the blood on, there's this like fantasy dance sequence mm-hmm. that's edited in really weirdly. And that's definitely one of those scenes because it adds nothing except time. Included in those scenes are the bowling alley scene with Sue and Tommy, Chris and Billy. The classroom scene where Carrie cracks her desk. Drugstore yeah. scene with, with Carrie and Sue. I like and, that scene. Uh, the gym class scene where Chris confronts Carrie and gaslights her. Oh, yeah. That's a really weird scene. I told you they added that. This isn't in the book, and that's why. Just to give it a little something. It adds nothing to the movie except it kills time. Well, do you want to say anything else about uh, 
the TV movie? Uh, not really. Not really. Other than I was really surprised that the movie got just under 13 million viewers. And at the time, that was okay when that would be like one of the biggest hit shows today. Because we're, we had to cover three f- films this week. Um, I'm going to ex- exclude the reviews. But I will give you the information on the movies. Carrie 2013, 3.7 user review, 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.8 on IMDb. Rage of Carrie 2 is a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, 4.7 IMDb, 42% Metacritic. And then Carrie the TV movie, uh, 55.4 IMDb and a 21, 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, not really surprised by that. And yeah, like we're skipping the reviews today. The show's running a little long. We had our first 90 minute show here. And we knew we were going to get to it because we had a lot of really wanted to break down this movie. You know, we weren't really enamored with them. By the way, um, Roger Ebert, not really enamored with the Rage Carry 2. Two stars. I thought it'd be one star. So he, he mm-hmm. liked a little bit more than what I thought. But yeah, just once again, watch the De Palma movie. You know, even if you're younger, I don't know why you'd appreciate the 2013 version unless you're the world's biggest Chloe Grace Moretz fan. I can't understand why you would want that version over the De Palma one. Uh, same thing. I don't know why anybody want the the Carrie 2002 TV film. That's the guy I want to meet. The guy who prefers that version over the other one. Right. And you know the rage. I, mean, I guess you grew up with it. You might like it, man. But God help you if you if you really want to enjoy that. Some movie. people do. I know they do. But if you're watching that movie, man, there's a lot better ways you could be spending your time. And one of the ways you could be spending your time is annoying us. And the best way to do it is via email at grittyrebootcast@gmail.com. That's the most 90s way to get a hold of us. You watch The Rage, only contact us the 90s way via email. <laughs> but if you're going to watch Carrie 2013 or any other films, you can use social media, and that's Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok. I'm usually there as well. You can also find myself, uh, Pedro, at Illusionist13 on Twitter. I'm occasionally there, and we'll occasionally post a funny meme or two. Meredith, what are your socials? I'm just on Facebook. She's just on Facebook. You can look for her there, but she won't ever respond, so good luck to you. Hey, I've gotten some friend requests from all over the place. Well, there you go. There you go. I'm sure they're not bots. I'm sure they're real people. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, with that, guys, that concludes our two-parter on Carrie. We went a long way into this one, but you know, we wanted to make sure we fully talked about everything that we wanted to talk about. And we did today. We did. We got it all covered, and we're ready to not talk about this telepathic girl for a very, very long time. Yeah. So with that being said, guys, I bid you adieu and have a good one. Bye.